the ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rawley Sussex. It's that time of the day. Prepare for a tongue lashing from the ABC's word wizard, Rowley Sussex OAM. Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland is here, willing and able to give you a thumbs up when it comes to words, language and linguistics. one three hundred triple two six twelve is the number you can call. That's one three hundred triple two six twelve. Call now. Uh, don't be a lazy bone because, Rolly, today I see a twinkle in your eye because you want to get your nose in front by talking about the metaphors involving body parts. Thank you very much. Oh, very elegantly done. Thank you. With, I think, eight or nine body parts mentioned on the way in. Shout out to producer Robbie Mitchell who had some fun working that introduction together. I bet he did, yeah. Okay, today is about metaphors. Now, a metaphor is when you take a word which is normally used for one thing and apply it somewhere else, and the meaning kind of carries over. So your stomach is a place where you digest food. But if you say, I don't have the stomach for that, it means I'm not quite up to it, it's a bit difficult, it puts me off. I don't have the heart for that is slightly different. It's a bit more, um, am I emotionally oriented towards it, okay? So that when we look at the body parts, everything from the head down to the toes, most of them have got some role in metaphors, and some of them, particularly the closer you are to your head, the more you've got. And what explains that? I think this is because our main senses of seeing and smelling and hearing are located in our heads and so this is this is ground zero when it comes to organizing the world around us and so it's not only english it's lots of other languages have done this and they've taken the properties of what your organs of sense and taste and so on do and apply them to things around us and it's a lovely way of of kind of spreading our map of ourselves Mm -hmm. across the world so is there a relationship between the uh, physiological experience you have while digesting food through Mm -hmm. your stomach and its application to metaphor i mean is it that sense that drives that Word stomach's usage in other situations. Yep. But it's sometimes a bit indirect, and it's not the same in every language either. Hmm. Because in, in Western cultures, we tend to think that the heart is the location of love and the emotions. Uh, in Vietnam, it's your liver. Oh, really? So you need to pay great attention and respect to your liver next time it, it complains, because yeah. it may be down on love. So matters of the heart, matters of the liver. That's right. And, and to what extent do other like old um, medical understandings of the body and its various functions oh, influence this as well, Rolling? Quite a lot. Well, there's the there's the old hysteria story, which goes back to Hippocrates, who was a Greek physician, fifth century BC, and it comes from the the Greek word for the womb. And the Greeks believed that the womb sort of did sort of walk about a little bit and only women had it not men men did not get hysteria um where and so this was a an example of of an interpretation totally wrong physiologically in the ancient world hypochondria is another good one um hypo in greek means below your chondra is your your breastbone and originally hypochondria was melancholy and it was believed that melancholy arose from your liver and your spleen both of which are below your breastbone. So this is what gave rise to melancholy, and eventually it flipped over a little bit, and now hypochondria means an unreasonable, um, scared 
attitude towards getting infected and being sick. Hmm. So some of these things, they can move around a bit over time. But the, the body has had a huge amount to do with how we interpret the world around us. For example, I mean, elbow is not, it's not a great, great organ, really. Um, and you know, rubbing elbows the way we do at the moment, I think, is a very, very poor replacement for what we did before. But, you know, if you learn something, if you're at someone's elbow, then you're right behind them, close by, ready to help. Um, if you're elbow to elbow, then you're probably jammed together in a crowd, which we can't do at the moment. If you give someone the elbow, that's more British than anything else. It means you kind of push them away, uh, reject them in some sense. You gave them the elbow, meaning I threw him out of the meeting. I didn't invite him to my party. And so the, this idea of rejection, you know, sort of a vigorous physical action is transferred to something social. Um, he's up to the elbows in it. Right? Now you can be up to the ears in something as well, up to the elbows. Occasionally we've got several versions. I'm often up to my eyeballs. In eyeballs, this. Yes. yes. Well, there's three for a start. And uh, these all, all are ways of, I think, indicating way w the ways we've tried to interpret the, the world around us in terms of familiar things, because after all, we know our elbows pretty well. Um, and uh, I've got knees... You learned something at your mother's knee. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You attend a knees up. You attend a knees up. And nowadays there's a new one. You can take a knee, which is the American football thing where you kneel down uh, as part of a statement about racial issues and so on. Uh, you can bring someone to their knees. Now, if you're kneeling in front of someone, you're in a subservient position. But you can do that in terms of, you know, the, they brought the company to their knees, meaning uh, they were perhaps a, an, an inappropriate competitor, and you tried to make sure that they weren't going to succeed. So those are the easy ones. Uh, when you get to things like eyes and ears and noses, there are tens and tens and sometimes nearly a hundred expressions involving them. So um, if you're really feeling bold, grab a decent-sized dictionary, the bigger the better, and look at the word head and see how many expressions there are relating to it. Meanwhile, I've got noses and I've got ears and I've got eyes and things for us to enjoy. We'd like to see what the listeners have got. On one three hundred triple two six twelve, that's one three hundred triple two six twelve. Can you think of any metaphors using body parts, especially the head? What metaphor do you know or do you use often that involves the head? Call it through and we'll talk about where it came from and how it came to be with Professor Rolly Sussex, the ABC's Lord of Language and your guest this afternoon here on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. The phone number you need for your metaphors and for any other questions or comments you might have is 1300 22612. That's 1300 22612. My name's Kat and uh, Rolly, I hope that you won't go away from this conversation regarding it as being a bit on the nose <laughs> no should i would i could i no nose is interesting because it's it's the thing which sticks out uh, on the front of your face and is supposed to be the source of where you get smells from now in fact taste is mixed up with this as well and that's slightly different but you can say something like he's got a good nose for a scam now this is if you smell and you detect something a little bit off Right, You know that there's something wrong with the meat, the veg, or the stuff that you haven't thrown in the bin since last week. But to have a good nose for something means that you've got a good instinct, maybe a suspicious instinct. 
And so just as a bad smell is an indicator of food that's off, uh, having a good nose for something can suggest that you can detect something being not quite right. An old newspaper editor of mine described journalists as having a good nose for a story. That's right. Or not. That, that I think, is probably a more positive one, isn't it? A good mm. nose for a story means you can, you can guess from incomplete evidence what might be worth looking at further. I mean, often if you're a journalist, you get told to keep your nose out of my business. Ah, there you go again. Intrusive noses. But then there's a very odd one. This wine has a good nose. Now, that literally means it has a good effect when you breathe it in through your nose. And, but, you know, the, this is a, a standard part of wine tasting and the sort of vocabulary that goes with it, right? And so this wine has a good nose. Uh, it suggests that it's um, a quality wine which has appropriate whatever it is that wines have uh, in the glass. Then there's the Pope's nose. Now, the Pope's nose is a bit of a chook. And I'm afraid it's not the head end of the chook, it's the other end of the chook. Oh. And is a way in which certain people from certain religions in the past have not been very complimentary. Well, it would put someone's nose out of joint, wouldn't it, Rob? Oh, you're, you're on a roll, aren't Thank you? Thank you, I try. Julie is in Townsville with a metaphor for you involving the head. Hello, Julie. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. What do you do with your head? Um, you probably nodded a bit as a school crossing lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, um, I was interested about the um, heads up that when people yes. explain that. When you say heads up. I'll, yeah, or, or I'll give you a heads up. Mm. Sometimes written H-E-D-Z-U-P for fun. <laughs> uh, and it means that I will, uh, you know, when you hear some news that's a bit surprising, you sort of sometimes raise your head. Oh, yeah, right. And that's, I think, the gesture that gave, a ri gave rise to the heads up, meaning I will bring you up to date. I'll give you a briefing about something. Uh, as a result of which you'll say, oh, yeah, right, I got it. Okay, so that's, that's again, well done. There are lots of head ones. Uh, we'll see if you can come up with some more. On one three hundred triple two six twelve, if you, like Julie, have a uh, metaphorical expression uh, in your vocabulary involving the word head, Carl on the Sunshine Coast, not so much with a metaphor, Rolly, but with another term used for head. Hello, Carl. Hello. What's your, uh, what's your head-related word? Uh, as a child, if, I, if you ever hit your head on something... Um, the term, I bump my noggin, oh, yeah. we used to be used. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never really said it since, but I, but I just wondered what that was. Okay. Um, when talking to children, we tend, if, particularly if they bump things or hurt things, we tend to use metaphor, sorry, well, diminutives really, or sweet little terms. You know, you, if you had a pain in your tummy... All right. Did you stub your tootsie? Yes. Ooh, yeah, with a bit of a squirm as well. And noggin is, in fact, I think basically uh, more child's language originally. Now, amiable way. You know, did you, did you hurt your noggin? Meaning I hope you didn't hurt yourself when you bashed your head against whatever it was. Um, it can oddly mean a, also a small quantity of alcoholic liquid. A uh, noggin. A noggin is a small one, like like a quarter of a pint. A, a noggin one. of sherry or That's something right, like yes, that. Oh, yes. Except that I think noggins might might be 
probably not not something quite as, as civilised. Oh, I wonder if there's a relationship with uh, too many noggins in a sore noggin. I would think very much so. Possibly. Yes, particularly scrumpy, which is inclined to do that to you. Not that you'd know anything about that, Carl. <clears throat> no, but it's um, this is one of those orig uncert words. The dictionaries simply say, sorry, we don't know where it comes from. It's at least 400 years old, though. So it's been around for quite a while. Good observation, Carl, on the Sunshine Coast. Thank you. On ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland, I'm Kat. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you, having a word in your ear, looking at metaphor and body parts this afternoon. Chris at Brighton, great question about the difference between a metaphor and what. Chris, hello. G'day, uh, Chris here, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Yay! Like to know the difference between a metaphor and a euphemism. All oh, right, yes, an interchangeable term. Mm. Okay, euphemism. It comes from Greek. The eu bit means nice or well, and the feme is the Greek word for sounding. So, a euphemism is an expression that sounds nice. It's very often describing something that you are uncomfortable in talking about, like death. Right, so you might say someone has passed on, or nowadays passed, or gone to meet their maker, or they're pushing up daisies. Those are all euphemisms, and they're nice ways of talking about something which is touchy, difficult, painful, or whatever. A metaphor is when you take something and apply it to a different area, and there may be no difference in terms of whether it's nice or not. Metaphor is just a metaphor because it's different. But some euphemisms are definitely metaphors. Okay, and I think the the notion that pushing up daisies is, I think, a metaphor because the no, there you are under the ground helping the daisies rise through, whatever. Uh, that's a metaphor of a kind as well. So a euphemism can be a metaphor, but a metaphor yes. isn't always a euphemism. Correct. Yes, gotcha. So in work, a euphemism is a way of communicating bad news. Uh, usually, bad news or talking about something which is taboo. Right now, taboos are procreation, um, defecation, right, um, and things which, for various reasons, like the spirit, may not be easy to talk about in your culture, and uh, so that's why you know someone is no longer with us. Well, okay, we know they're no longer with us because they have. And then died is a word which people don't like. So in an employment context, um, you know, rather than you've been sacked or you've lost your job, you've found efficiencies. Found efficiencies, found alternative employment, Mm. uh, taken a career change. There are about 50 euphemisms for losing your job. Uh, They've been collected by David Crystal, British journalist. And if you want them, I'll get them next week. They're all rather sad. Thank you very much. Okay, your pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for calling, Chris. First time caller, long time listener. That's what we love to hear on ABC And we hope you come back. Indeed, one three hundred triple two six twelve is the phone number. Write it down so you can join the conversation every Thursday. That's Words Day uh, with Professor Rowley Sussex, the ABC's Lord of Language, uh, and me, Kat. I just push the buttons and facilitate. We are focusing on metaphor, body parts included, and uh, Beck at Condamine has something to say. Beck, hello. Oh, Beck, I'm really sorry. That phone line of yours is just letting you down. We'll see if we can get you back on a better line. But Beck had a question about ear bashing. Oh, yes. Yeah, good one. Um, again, ears are very much in the, in the frame for, for these expressions. And uh, an ear bashing, of course, is, is when you give someone a, a, a severe talking to. Um, 
and so that's a great example uh, for violent use of language, uh, saying to some, saying tough things. But you can also have, of course, an ear for music, mm-hmm. and that really means a an appreciation and an understanding of music. Uh, a sympathetic ear is someone who will listen to you with understanding and patience and compassion and so on. You're all ears, meaning I am eager to have oral input. Will right. someone talk to me? Right? And um, maybe I would lend you my ears, Roland. Yes. I wouldn't mind them back, please, when you're done with them. All right, yeah, I'll pass them along. Uh, <laughs> and my ears are burning. Thank you, Beck. Uh, Rowan on the Gold Coast, hello. Hello there, Beck. Good day, Professor Rowling. Yes, hello there. Um, in terms of uh, parts of the head, um, yep. I'm a locksmith, and oh, yes. you get phone calls from people reporting to be in all sorts of pickles. Yes. And you, in my parlance, develop a nose for the phone call. Ah. They're telling porkies or whether or not it's a legitimate thing. Oh. You've just heard so many stories over so many decades that, um, yeah, you just sort of, something sounds a bit sus, so I say it's a bit on the nose. A bit on the nose, it's smelt a bit off, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of thing you're talking about, people want you to help them open a lock when it might not be theirs, that Precisely. sort of thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is, again, a, a, a suspicious feeling about something being not quite right. Very sus, yes. yeah. Lovely. I didn't know that that was part of Locksmith's thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, Okay. Jim. Thank you, Rowan. Dougie in Yoronga with a uh, comment question about a uh, term you mentioned earlier, Rowley. Dougie, hello. G'day. Um, thanks for the program. I love it. Thank you, Rowley. Um, you mentioned the Pope's nose mm-hmm. and um, connected it with religious bigotry. Mm-hmm. But my father always referred to it as the Parsons' nose. Yes. Because it was the last bit over the fence. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Parsons and Popes, I think, is depends on which religion you're speaking from and which religion you're talking about. And uh, there's nothing like a little religion to get people being a, a, bit, a bit rough with the other side. Uh, so thanks for that one. Yes, good observation. And uh, but again, the the nose is involved in both cases because it sort of looks like a nose, a rather fleshy one actually. Professor, I'm wondering uh, if there are parts of the body that don't really rate a mention uh, that aren't often used in a metaphorical sense. Yeah, the more the more remote ones, I think. Um, toe is interesting. Um, it, what's the toe difference? the line? I guess yes, the toe towing the line, uh, which means you are expected to. Um, Front up and uh, and report, but also if you've got a toehold, what's the difference between a toehold and a foothold? Oh, I, I would feel a toehold would be a far more precarious position. Yeah, I think so. Yes, uh, if there are any rock climbers out there, pick, pick up the phone and tell us <laughs> yeah, because please. they they hang on by fingers and toes. Um, a foot a foothold is a bit like a beachhead or something. You've already got a substantial position. Maybe you've got your foot in the door, and there's another one so that people can't reject you, throw you out, so they've got to listen to what you've got to say. So I think um, feet are are actually surprisingly versatile. Um, you might be rushed off your feet. Um, the shoe might be on the other foot. Actually, shoes don't usually fit on other feet. Never mind. You might have feet of clay, which means there's a, something fundamentally wrong with you. You can foot the bill. Now, that one's easy because people used to write their name at the bottom of the bill saying, I will be responsible for the cost. Oh, the foot, the bottom, the bottom That's part right. of the body. That's right. The bottom part Even though the bottom, of, bottom yes. isn't the foot. You can so get on. your feet under the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, that usually means these days that you are part of a meeting or a group which is 
able to exercise some authority, power, influence, or whatever, so that you're part of the people who actually sit at the table. Um, you can get your feet wet, which means I'm about to get involved in some activity, have a crack at it. If you get off on the right foot... Uh, then you've made a good beginning and you get off on the wrong foot, you haven't. Um, if, you're, if you've got both feet on the ground, you're firmly established, you understand things, you're not likely to be overenthusiastic, you're likely to be concrete and, and so on. Um, if you've, now, you can hold someone's feet to the fire. This is largely American, and it means if you hold their feet to the fire and they don't want them there, they get too hot, and this is a way of, if you like... Um, Pressuring them, pressuring them, them, yes, giving giving them uh, an access. Well, no, t- telling them they've got to do something. Um, on foot of is an Irish phrase meaning by reason of. We don't use it at all, huh. but it's nice that there are some which are just located in certain certain cultures. Um, if you if you put foot in South Africa, you're making a good start or hurrying up. It's another one I'd never heard before till I went looking for these. Um, but something is a foot. Aha, all right. Maybe uh, we need to get our noses involved. Indeed, but let's not get too cheeky. On ABC Radio <laughs> Brisbane and You're Queensland, right. 25 minutes at 2-3. My name is Kat and Professor Rolly Sussex is with you. Having a word in your ear, uh, we'll come to you, Richard at Wide Bay. Thank you so much for being so patient and holding. We will come to you. We're just working our way through the metaphors first, and that means it's time to catch up with Nora on the Gold Coast. Hello, Nora. Hello. <coughs> I was thinking of keeping a chin up. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. And uh, giving someone the eye. Ah, yes. Giving someone the eye is... um, It can be threatening and it can be inviting, depending on which way you're doing it. There there can be significant ambiguities there. Chin-up is nice. Um, I I think, you know, rather than drooping your shoulders and and head down, chin-up means uh, be brave, be bold. The dentist isn't going to whatever, you know. I know. I'm 95 and everybody tells me to keep my chin up. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not quite that age, but I can remember saying the same to my grandma when she was 100, so... Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Well done. Keep on on going. Thank you for that. Good good observation. Yeah. Thank you very much, Nora. Also on the Gold Coast uh, this afternoon, Jason, uh, who has a message to share with you, Rolly, from his own boss. Hello, Jason. Hello, Kat. How are you? Well, thank you. So I'm a carpenter and the boss is always saying, no, I can't do that. We're head down and bum up. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, th- this is, there are two meanings of head down, aren't there? One, one can be if you're being submissive and feeling beaten and you're not very positive anymore. On the other hand, head down, this is to is someone who is either studying or working at a task. And if you're continuing to work, your head's down, you're bending over the bench or the desk and you're doing it properly. So head down, bum up is, is I, I think, a fairly standard moderately recent phrase maybe the last 30 years uh, meaning that uh, both of your bit, the bits of your body are properly aligned for work in a colloquially Australian <laughs> sense you're flat out like a lizard drinking really. that's right yeah and I've also got another one to yes. attack something at breakneck speed ah Good yes one. well done thank you I, that, I'd forgotten about that uh, the neck isn't much involved in these expressions rather is less so Unless but breakneck speed, out. meaning when you're going so fast, you might actually fall off whatever it is, like a horse, and breaking neck, in which case you're in severe trouble. Thank you. Paraplegia. Indeed. Um, I'm just thinking the shin. 
Just yeah. doesn't ever get a look in, really. No, I can't no. think of anything involving the shin. Neither can the shin, the calf, the knee. You can we knee someone in the knee. stomach. Um, no bended knee. We talked about that before. Hips. Hips. I mean, Shakira once famously said that her hips don't lie, but I don't really think that's a metaphorical expression. Maybe it's, not, it's more of a euphemism. But I think it's a euphemism. Let's not dwell on that. Um, to Betty at McDowell. Hello, Betty. Uh, what would you like to say to Professor Rowley Sussex? Wanted to ask Rolly, I'm just to probably confirm what they're saying. They say I remember uh, an elderly relative often saying this when I was a child, and it made me feel very uncomfortable. But they use the terminology "off your head." Oh, uh, yes. In reference to somebody who was not acting in a stable way, um, I would think that would be culturally totally inappropriate now. So, Rolly, if you could. Just explain that one. That would be helpful. The the, the phrase, I think, began as going off your head, and it's related to people being crazy or, um, I think, not not in command of their proper facilities. Uh, And so that it is, uh, I think, yeah, quite derogatory. The other meaning of being off your head meaning is being very, very drunk. So that either way, being off your head is not a good thing to be. On the other hand, if you're off your head, you wouldn't be able to make head or tail of something. Hmm. Kat is looking thoughtful. I'm, I'm looking thoughtful. I'm just sort of picking up a little bit, I think, of, on what Betty was talking about yes. there. It's Mental Health Week at the moment, mm, obviously. Yes. And the, yeah. the language around health and mental health especially Indeed. has yes. evolved and changed, quite rightly Enormously, so. Yes. And so this idea that you are off your head and that that's an, a negative thing to be mm-hmm. uh, is challenging for many reasons. That's yes. all I was pondering. I think yeah. that's the case. Mm. And again, we are now, as a result of, uh, I think, 30 years of being much more aware of the bad effects of our language. I think we are much more com- considerate of people than we used to be, and that, that has to be a good thing. Mm. Thank you very much, uh, Betty. Uh, look, we must take, before we ask for your last word, Professor, mm. Richard at Wide Bay, who has been exceedingly patient, holding on okay. for about 40 minutes, Good I work. reckon. <laughs> Give or take, Richard, hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, I've been waiting for the answer to this question for 40 on years. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's, what, what's 40 minutes? Yeah. No issue. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, ahead. Afternoon, both of you. Mm-hmm. You've got to help me here. Um, it's a marine question. Yep. We have a fair bit of sailing over the period against Americans. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a tomato-tomato question. Yeah. You have to. You get given a marker buoy to go around. Yes. Might be yellow, might be red, whatever, but you need to go around first buoy. Yes. The Americans say buoy. They do, yeah. Now, I know it's spelt B-O-U-Y, but I always say that the Americans just don't like the word buoy because... Mm. To them, it's um, slang. It's rude. Just ask um, Bert Newman when he interviewed Muhammad Ali. That was a dangerous moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually B-U-O-Y. Um, and the reason is that, um, remember in the 17th, 16th century, the Dutch were fantastically good on the seas. They were the they and the Brits were, were challenging each other for supremacy of naval things. And we actually borrowed the word from the Dutch. And in Dutch, it used to be buoy. And I think it still is. Now... New York, its first name was New Amsterdam. 
and it was full of people who spoke dialects of Dutch. And so they, when they borrowed these words, they brought the Dutch pronunciation with them, and they actually took root in America and stayed. So it's still in America, in the America's Cup, and I still remember that day when Australia won. Um, the, they passed the buoy or boy first, as it were. They rounded the boy. And that's why it's a Dutch pronunciation, and it, it is one of the things which we got from the Dutch where we took the word and the thing but pronounced it our way. There you go. So which one's correct? Oh, both, depending on where you are. And if you say boy in the sea in America, they will be exceedingly confused and don't really know where you're, what you're talking about. <laughs> Richard, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much. I hope that satisfactorily answers your question. And thank you for your patience. Thank you for all of your calls and texts. Unfortunately, we're out of time uh, today. But Professor Rolly Sussex is gracious enough to join you every Thursday, every Words Day here on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland to have a word in your ear. Uh, before we remind everybody about how they can subscribe to the podcast and spend time with you, Rolly, even when you're not here on the radio, we'd better have your last word. Yes, this is in a classroom. And the teacher said to the, to the kids, who was Joan of Arc? And a little boy at the back said, please, sir, please, sir, Noah's wife. Joan of Arc. Oh, I see. Noah's uh, wife in the Bible doesn't have a name, by the way. Uh, Noah does, but she doesn't. It's I not have, fair. Yes, it isn't fair, is it? Rolly, thank you for pointing that out. Um, we look forward to joining you again. Pleasure and a privilege. Thank you very thank much you for today. Thank you. And if you would like more Rolly, then do subscribe to the podcast, A Word in Your Ear. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.